Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Scapings Avenue. I'm very, I mean, I'm always pleased about my guests. Like, I don't typically have anyone on here that I don't fuck with. Like, Larry Elder is not going to be on my show. Um, <laughs> but, who, by the way, I saw a video of him walking through some. South Central locale with a lot of elders that are still Crips, and all you heard was "You sorry, motherfucker," and <laughs> and it was like, "Oh, those are your peers. Young young folks don't curse. That that's not the t- style of cursing they do." <laughs> um, but today's guest is a lovely, and I specifically say lovely. Because that is your disposition. Like, I don't feel like that's my disposition, but you have, like, a lovely disposition. We have Amber Ruffin here on Small Doses to give us a big dose of the Amber Ruffin show. And I will say, I started watching the Amber Ruffin show at its infancy, like, in the very beginning. And then I have seen how you all basically, how y'all basically just, like, took your weave out. (laughs) Oh, you all, y'all didn't know. Here we go. And the show is on Peacock. Congratulations on the Emmy nods. Congratulations on getting a studio audience. I think it's actually been a great example of watching. um, It feels like they were like giving you a shot, but you have taken that and (laughs) that face. You're still like, do we still have it? Oh, we do? Oh, okay, good. Terrifying. I mean, this is not new for black folks. It's not new for anyone in Hollywood, particularly for black folks. I feel like it's like, you know, they give you a shot and you got to keep proving, improving, improving. Um, And you all have continued to show and prove. And I feel like, I don't, I mean, it seems to me like your audience has significantly grown, at least amongst my internet peers and like I just feel like the conversation I'm seeing your clips in so many spaces that are I mean like you're in the spaces of like my peers and colleagues and then I'll see it on like like white progressives then I'll see it on like hoteps and I'm like oh she made it to the hoteps I saw that the other day (laughs) I'm like hoteps is supposed to they ain't never posted me but they fucking with Amber though because the truth is the truth, and she's giving it to you. So big ups on all those things. The, today's episode is Side Effects of the Amber Ruffin Show because I just... Tell me this. For those who do not know, how did you enter the space as a comedy writer? Because that, to me, is what I feel like is the most shines the most in your show. It's writing. Oh, thank you. It's uh, not me, huh? The writing? No, well, you, you is one of the right. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> they writing for you. They writing because of your voice. 
Only I would hear that string of compliments and then be like, hey. <laughs> you know what though? It says it says it says success when you reach a point where people are writing in the style of you. Dude, I can't believe we got these writers. Like we started out shooting for the moon and I was like, here, these are my little friends who I thought would be great. And I just so happened to catch these motherfuckers in between jobs. And I was like, yes. And so we launched really, really well because we had uh, Shantira um, Jackson and Dwayne Perkins. So they're two of just the best writers of all time. So then we just got in that mode and then it propelled us like Jenny and I write like um, robots. I would say like, I wouldn't call us joyless robots, but here we are. After <laughs> but I have how said did that. you, what, where did your writing career begin? My writing career began in Amsterdam when I got uh, a theater called Boom Chicago. And I, you know, it was one of those theaters, just like Second City, where you write the show and you perform the show. So you perform the things that you write. So it is, maybe that's the only writing I've ever done. Like, I almost never write for other people. Like, at the beginning of being on Late Night Seth, I wrote for Seth. But then they were like, no, just do your thing. <laughs> so then I was only writing for me. But yeah. But how did that happen? Because that's such a dope like transition to make like going like people people recognizing your uniqueness and being like oh just be unique do that like how did that happen um i i feel like when i started to really goof around at late night seth i realized you know, I just thought, you know, it's hard to write a other show and another voice. You know, you work really hard and you do it and you generate a lot of stuff. But then the second it's like, you can just be funny the way you are already funny. Like, well, that I can write a, a ton of that. Right. I, I can write a whole sh weekly show. Um, and you can. It's just infinitely easier. And then it like opens this faucet and you can jet the, the amount of sketches a person can generate when you're the thing like it's it's great and it's I don't want to say it is easy but that is the word that came no, out but it's easier I mean well it's just authentic it's just it's your in the way that I feel like for some other people it's not for some people they are way better at writing for other people than for themselves you know because yes. there's like a certain preciousness that they have with themselves that impedes them in a way that when they're writing for other people, they're just like, oh, like, I get this. I can give this away. Was it someone who worked at Seth that, or was it Seth, like, that identified this? Or did you just, or did you come forward and be like, listen, I could do so much more if y'all just let me be me. <laughs> oh, no, of me pitching me for the show. Once I pitched a, a bit called Amber Says What, uh, uh, at close to the beginning, I want to say, maybe two years in, something. It's been seven years now. And I pitched it and that went so well. And then I just almost only pitched my type of stuff and no one cared. No one was ever like, look, this is not the Amber Ruffin show. This is Seth Meyers show. So you better, no one said that. No one cared. They're like, yeah, yeah, I love it. Here, nice. get a dinosaur costume and dance around. No one cares. This is the best. I was going to say, that's Seth not Myers. normal. You know that, right? 
Absolutely not. Because all of us late night babies, a lot of us are friends. So. (laughs) Sip to it. When you're sipping from your own Amber Ruffin Show cup, that's also success. (laughs) I mean, and I will say, so when I did my stand-up, like everyone as a comic, you know, everyone wants to do a stand-up set. Like that's like the thing, to do a late night stand-up set. And um, my, I mean, people do Jimmy and some people do uh, Colbert, but I did Seth. And I'm like... So I feel very fortunate because when I did Seth Meyers, they were like, yeah, say what you want. <laughs> Every other show, it is to the word, to the syllable. They are like, no, don't say that. Move that. Put that over here. Like, they restructure your whole set. No. Yes. No. They will tell you, like, no, that's too controversial. That Our audience doesn't like that. You know, you can't say this. They make you run it. My homegirl did... I think she did Fallon and she had to run her set. I want to say it was something like eight times in one weekend. And the the booker is there watching and like, okay, I think you should reorganize this, et cetera. And ultimately, as a comic, like you t- you take notes, but that just feels very invasive. And I had such a beautiful experience at Seth Meyers because it was literally the opposite to the point where I was like, hey, are y'all going to give me notes? <laughs> and they were it like, was also hilarious. Thank you. And they were mm-hmm. like, uh, do you have notes? <laughs> I, no, uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Um, and Seth so, comes to you and asks you for notes. <laughs> <laughs> and Redwood right. Jr. was like, he did like a whole thing about it. And I think he was like being interviewed in like Esquire or GQ. And he was talking about how like if they would just let comics do what they do like you would just see so much more of an authentic setting of set of voices etc so so it's not just you that seems to be the culture over there and um so amber ruffin show how did this happen so our executive producer mike shoemaker said there is some slot opening up at NBC. I forget what hour, some weird time. And they were like, let's see if we can get them to do the Amber Ruffin show. And I said, okay, great. We wrote up a little thing. We sent it to NBC and they said, no, thanks. And then a year later, they came to us and were like, do you remember when you pitched that show? Well, there's this thing called Peacock. Will you do it on this streaming service? And we were like, yeah, absolutely. So it really worked out. We weren't even thinking about it. And so you started doing the show. And what? How, how far has the premise changed, if at all, from your original vision? Um, absolutely zero percent. We went in there and we're like, let's call it a late night show. We'll know it's a variety show. <laughs> and then we'll just do whatever we want. And whatever we think is the funniest is what goes. So, like, we never were like, we're going to sing songs. Never. I was like, I'm going to try to sing some songs, <laughs> even though I don't know that I should be doing that. But then sometimes there'll be, like, two songs in a show. This ain't no musical. <laughs> but no one cares. It's fine. You know, it's like we just decided whatever the funniest thing we can do is, we're, we're just going to do that. And because... 
are we're the executive producers. No, they nobody has shit to say. I mean, I'm just so fascinated by this concept of like people letting you do what the fuck you want to do. Like, I mean, how much of that do you think? How much of that is just like kismet? How much of that is like, you know, the relationships that you've been like, like walk me through this because I am just, I I love it for you. It happens only because Seth Meyers did SNL and he was an actor on it and he was a writer on it. And then he did um, Weekend Update on it. And then he became like uh, the head writer. So then he had seen it all and he saw it when it was him and his buddies and they weren't letting friggin' I don't know, Horatio do whatever he wanted or whatever. And then to see, oh man, if you had just let us be us, that would have been really funny. So then the second his show started, and he was very clear, and it took me years to really get a hold of it, but he was like, do what you want, shoot for the moon all the time. I want exactly what's in your brain, exactly the way it would come out. It's like, oh, okay. But it took a while to even get a hold of that because no one has no one has asked that of me ever. <laughs> so I had to even figure out what I wanted to do was, and that took quite a while. But I mean, yeah, I think it's. No, go ahead. Because I just, I, I mean, I, you see my face. I'm just like, I just, <laughs> this is a very, it's, it's a very, it's a Jurassic park. Like it's like a fantasy world, you know, because yeah. for those listening, not even just as a black woman, but just like, In these spaces, so often there are these like unspoken rules and then there are spoken rules and then there are protocols and like all these things that you're facing that get in the way of just being creative. And it makes it, it just really, I feel like dilutes the dopeness. Yeah. But I feel like we have seen you continue to expand. And I know um, one of the biggest things I feel like that has become a lot that's become viral is like you have these black ass moments on your show where you are just professorial in a way <laughs> that we don't see anywhere else. And so tell me about that. Like, was that a conscious decision to say, OK, we're going to do these segments Um and, you know, how does the research go for them? Because what, what, what you do a lot is like blow the blow the smoke off of stuff, the dust off of stuff that people have really forgotten. Yeah. What happened was Shantira Jackson pitched something and it was like a mild. Those things are called. How did we get here? You know, it'll mm-hmm. be like our, our vote counts or does it? If you talk to black people, they say, no, let's find out how we got here. You know, like that. And. It was something like that. And Shantira wrote just a mild one without a lot of facts in it. And she was like, this is how do we get here? And I was like, oh, how do we get here is a nice thought. Then, meanwhile, on Twitter, we're looking at Michael Harriet's uh, Twitter page. And he always does these real long threads that are like, um, you know, the redlining isn't uh, an accident. It's very intentional. And here's how. And it'll just like cite all these or it'll be like, um, you know, there used to be a law where you could just take black people off the street if you found them. And here's all that, you know, it's just the nuttiest stuff. So then we were looking at how do we get here? And then we were looking at Twitter at Michael Harriet's Twitter. And it was we were like, let's see if we can get him to write one of these things out. We could just be like reading his tweet threads. And 
we got him and he started writing for us and he writes all these, so does Erica Buddington. And he, when they have to cite proof, they Mm. cite themselves because they are the literal professors doing the work to find out about these like drowned towns and like old laws and stuff. It's nuts. It's nuts. Michael Harriet went on Twitter and said that my comedy special was not funny and that he thought that I was not deserving of one. So I have a. (laughs) (laughs) What? So I have. Why? I have no idea. He was very not impressed with my comedy. (laughs) Which is ironic to me because I feel like we have a similar sense of humor. So I don't know if maybe he was more so like it should have been me. Um, But. But. So I have a very conflicted, uh, like, I'm just like, he do be saying shit, but I'm like, well, why he had to say that? He could have kept that in the group chat. He didn't have to put that on the Twitters. <laughs> people are, people love to have as few friends as possible. Fucking <laughs> the dumbest shit. The fuck are you out there coming after people I'm for? just like, damn, are- like, I, let a nigga live. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I remember someone I sent it. it to me and I was like, now why you had to send that to me? Why would someone send that to you? People send me things because I think they think that they're going to get to see me like clap back. But really, it's just like, oh yeah. but they forget like, no, like it hurts your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm also like some lady. <laughs> you know? Like I'm, I'm just over here. Like in my little office, like. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's wrong and I'm right. <laughs> as special as the shit. How about that? Oh, thank you, Amber. <laughs> Amber, I just really, I've been a fan of yours for a while from a distance, like, because we've never gotten to meet in person. And Isn't that ridiculous? It is. And then there was a whole pandemic and, uh, <laughs> and then I, I live across the nation. So we haven't really had the opportunity. I am going to be in New York. Come over. Wait. I'm going to be in New York for the New York Comedy Festival in November. Yeah. I'm doing Smart, Funny, and Black at the Apollo in November. Oh yeah! So I'm just gonna th- I'm just gonna throw it out to you. We will discuss offline. But I'm gonna throw it out to you. There you go. Ah, yep. Um, that we would love to have you. We only have two people on stage, so it's not like a crazy, crazy scenario. But we have two black spurts that compete in games that I have created that test their knowledge of black culture, black history, and the black experience. And it's you know yeah. improv and music and just like you're like it's you knew you were doing a variety show, but you called it. A late night show? It's like, yeah, we call it a game show, but it's a variety show, really. <laughs> like, if, if, we, yeah, if we're yeah. calling it what it is. But you are just the epitome of Smart, Funny, and Black. And when I started Smart, Funny, and Black, I started it as a stand-up showcase in, um, in New York because I felt like there was a lot of Black comics who didn't fit, like, the bill of what was being called Black comedy. Say that. <laughs> And so I would love to just get your thoughts on, like, how we've seen Black comedy expand, because I feel like you're doing it. Like, I mean, I don't know, dude. It, like, uh, literally what I think is white people felt bad two years ago. And everyone said, 
no, but look at the way you even think about black people. And then it got through to a lot of white people. And then white people were like, maybe I should expand what I think is good. And then once their mind opened the teeniest bit, they were like, oh, oh, no, black people are much better at everything than we are. <laughs> I do. I do think that that's what happened. And they were like, oh, my God, if you just like give it a second. These fucking melodies, these jokes, these clothes, like what were we doing? Um, and I think that's happening a lot. And I, I think that is what is responsible for um, it, um, that is responsible for the expansion of what a black person can be that is funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if you are a nerdy black person and you're Jaleel White, P.S. Um, last weekend I was at my mom and dad's house and I made the mistake of uh, saying, oh, did I do that? And those motherfuckers called me Jaleel White for the rest of the two days I was there. Okay, but um, <laughs> Mind you, you know he oh. won't say it. He, <laughs> he refuses. Won't. He will not say it. And I was like, just whisper it in my ear. <gasps> just whisper it in my and he ear. Wouldn't. He won't do it. I mean, at, at a certain point, now that I won't know you won't do it, now I'm just going to ask you to do it like... <laughs> You know, I'm going to try and find somebody that you're attracted to so y'all can have sex. So while you fucking, she can be like, say it, say it. You know, like, I just want to hear it. Um, But he, yeah, he won't say it. Mm. Well, my applause to him for setting his boundaries. But I mean, I'm like, I think that white people think black people want to see a black stereotype and black people just want to see authentic black people. They, they've mistaken the stereotype for authenticity, right. but black people can tell. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't be tricking anybody. So it's, I, I do think it expanded everything because not only now are black people in charge and black people can be like, oh, blackness looks like everything, you know? So you can have a super nerd or, you know, you can have someone who is the exact opposite and each point of view in between is valid, you know, whereas that wasn't the case. It really wasn't. I mean, I'm a super nerd. I don't present like the quote unquote, I guess like what we considered a nerd to like, I don't have like, I do actually have homeroom glasses, but I, I was like, wait, actually, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like just, when I was starting stand-up in 2013, there was this idea that, like, if you weren't doing deaf comedy jam style stand-up, that you weren't a black comic. Yeah. You you could be black, but you weren't doing black comedy. Yeah. You were doing, like, alt. You know, you were mm-hmm. doing something else. And yeah. it was annoying because I would see a lot of, like, my peers... Who and and to those who are listening, I feel like the difference was like deaf comedy jam comedy is is like there's a certain ex, there's a certain momentum of jokes like the jokes yeah. need to be like pop 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 pop. But I feel like your writing and my writing are similar in that it's very setup heavy, like it's conceptual. Yeah. It's set up. Take this ride with me. Like I'm gonna yeah. walk you through. It's premise. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I'm watching the sketch you had on the show. Um, People whose shit we, we we just didn't want to hear. 
<laughs> and the whole sketch is Amber walking through and identifying different people throughout history who were really doing great work that was going to help mankind and, and it was going to help the world. But people just didn't want to hear their shit. But it's like you have to be patient with that to get the comedy because you're going to tell us this is the premise people who shit we don't want to hear and then we got to listen through everything you're saying to then get to these nuggets of comedy and jokes etc and the irony and the satire and the wit and that wasn't necessarily like the vibe for deaf comedy jam and my peers i would see like we would we wanted to tell those jokes but about black things but we didn't want to have to tell them to like white audiences who are looking at you like I don't understand the wit and satire around <laughs> around bonnets and do rags. <laughs> I don't I don't understand it. So you know, I feel like you're you know you are somebody who I noticed was in a position at Seth Meyers where you were doing that like on a platform and on a stage where before you that hadn't been the case. Ain't no black women yeah. like on these late night shows. <laughs> No, there's not. It was when I first got this job around near when I first got this job, Robin Thede had her show and it was her birthday. So me and Ashley Nicole Black were like, let's just call every black woman who writes on a late night show and have dinner. And then we did. This is like we could just call them. Right. We called everybody on the phone. Because there was, was like, it was feasible. Yeah. It was a one number, a group text. <laughs> so few people. <laughs> so, yeah. what do you want the Amber Ruffin show? Like, what's do you even have like a mission? I don't. What I like to say is that we want to just de gaslight people mm. because when. I gotta say, Trump. When Trump was around, and he would just say these big, fat, heavy lies out loud. I would lay awake thinking, what if, like, yeah, white people are eating this up. That's fine. What if a black person hears this and is like, yeah, he's right. I am gross. I am bad. The thought of it makes me so mad that I was just like, great, but. The goal of this show is just going to be to de-gaslight us because God forbid that someone is running around out there talking about, well, you know what? I don't think you should vote if you don't have an idea. You know, like what the fuck if someone's out there like, well, if you went to jail, then I don't think you should be voting. You know, know, I can't. I can't live like this. (laughs) I have to try to let people know, hey, you, you are worth something. And what is happening to you is bad. It's bad and that's fine. It's bad, but you're strong. It's fine. You know, I think that's a basically my goal for the show. <laughs> it's working. Uh, I hope so. Are you still enjoying yourself? The show is very fun. It's still very fun. It's so exciting. I don't know if this is ever going to get old. Also, like, it's once a week. And and we have writers. So, like, this how is all possible. The, yeah, like, how does the process work for y'all? We get, uh, on Monday, we 
read our sketches and everybody turns into sketches. And then we make the show from those sketches that we got. Then on Wednesday, we have another pitch. And if one of those pitches is great, then you better hurry up and write it so we can do it on Friday. And then that's how we write the show. So it's very like super duper topical. Like almost nothing is evergreen. Yeah. I mean, this week we'll have a bit that we filmed two weeks ago. And that's probably the oldest thing we've ever done. And how many episodes do y'all film? We do one every Friday. This Friday will be the one hundred, the one hundredth. <laughs> no, no, the thirty-fourth like, episode. Uh, you know how it's one thirty-four, like season one, episode thirty-four. Thirty-fourth episode. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Um, I have to tell you something. Shoot. Okay, so I was on doing the most with Phoebe Robinson, and she. Uh, was like, oh, we'll do something that you know. Like she was with um, Whitney Cummings and they were horseback riding because that's something she knows about. And I did gymnastics. And the whole time I was thinking, this should not be me. This should be you. (laughs) (laughs) I did gymnastics on a show with Cardi B and sprayed my 40-year-old ankle. (laughs) There's no way on this earth that you're 40. Yes. What? How old are How you? is that possible? 42. What ma- do I'm you thinking- see you? <laughs> do you see you? Black don't cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can yeah. try to it, but you can't. <laughs> but I saw you on Instagram. You fucking laid out one and a half. And I was like, well, well. <laughs> I'm going to be lucky if I can squeeze a cartwheel out. But yeah. Wow. But you really, you can still do it. How? How can you still flip around? I'm muscular. I'm like a muscular, like, person. Um, Yeah. I I think the proper term is mesomorph. And I think I just, I think honestly, too, I'm, I'm young at heart. And I, you have the same type of like you have like a you have like a young auntie, like it's like you were the young auntie, but now you're older, but you're still the young auntie. Like I feel like that's yeah. like, <laughs> like your whole vibe. And I've now I feel like I've only just now owned the auntiness of it all. Um, but yeah, I'm young at heart. Like I still like stuffed animals, and if I see a toy that I think is exceptional, I will purchase it. Um, yeah. I'm a connoisseur of candy. Just so you all know, we're going to do an entire episode about candy for uh, Halloween because not a big Halloween fan, but God damn it. I love candy. I mean, just, uh, um, and so, yeah, but I think also like I've kept it up like over the quarantine, I bought a trampoline at my mom's house and yeah, just was like, we're going to be, I mean, my mother was livid, but you know, She should be living. She should be proud. She was like, "You're just trying to regress back to your childhood." I'm like, "And I'm here. I'm stuck here. So, like, I'm surrounded by Spice Girls posters. Let me live." (laughs) (laughs) There's like a whole like there's there's a poster of the cast of Rent pulled from a YM magazine still on my wall. Like, let me live. You you nerd! You are a nerd. (laughs) 
to the fullest. Oh, I am a nerd to the I fullest. Like, I'm literally sitting here with a hand of the king, like, just at the ready. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Like. Excellent. No, baby Yoda. Yes. It's very serious. I take my, I take my nerd dumb very serious. Um, Sorry, Grogu. <laughs> I know. I, I, I actually, like, complimented someone's mask the other day. I was like, oh, baby Yoda. And they were like, Grogu. It's Grogu. (laughs) (laughs) They corrected me through the mask. I was like, touche, touche, touche. Sorry, you're right. So tell me about the outfits. Because you have established, and I'm sure you've answered this on on numerous interviews, but we're here now. So please tell me about how you established this look. Dude, I was like, They asked, you know, okay, you're going to have this show. What do you want to look like? And our wardrobe person is Eric Justian, who was, you know, the wardrobe person for all of Seth. So I've known him for seven years. And he's uh, the wardrobe person for SNL since time began. So he was like, what do you want to wear? And, you know, we know each other enough to where he knows what I would like and wouldn't like. Um, And I said, I want to wear, I want to be as dressy as I can be while being in a suit. Because I figure... Everything we do has to be like what all these white men do, except better. So I want to look, I want to be wearing a suit, but then the nicest version of a suit that could possibly exist. And then I was like, I also want to wear bow ties. (laughs) And he was like, say no more. (laughs) And then that's, and then smash cut to today where it's like the most ornate bow and a Where does he get really that made? He just, they are never bespoke. I think they're all just from Nordstrom's down the street. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> Maybe they shop online. I don't know, but I'm they the look bespoke. To dress. Oh, they make them in house. I'm sorry. <laughs> They make them in the house. They are bespoke. I'm sorry that I said that they weren't. I don't know anything. Someone off camera just alerted Amber that actually they yep. are not purchased from Nordstrom's down the street. They are made in house. You literally have them behind you. You have like sketches of them. Yeah, my little bones behind so you. I mean, I I see a line of dolls. Um, I, I see the dolls having interchangeable bows. This just seems like it's only a matter of time. You're pretty smart. You're a good, you got the marketing gene. You know why I had to learn how to market? I had to learn how to market because I got so tired of people who I knew were not more talented than me getting further. And I learned that it was all hype. (laughs) I was like, oh, so people are just good at hype. And I That's true. and I was like, but I'm good at like actual things. And it was like, that doesn't matter. No one cares. <laughs> can you hype it? Hype it. But you can though. You yes. have excellent marketing. It's only literally by nature of just getting tired of being broke. <laughs> it's just like you could be broke and talented, or you could learn this other oh, skill. Yeah. And, like, really try and get there with it. And I think some people have, like, I think you have just a unique, you have such a unique personality in the landscape of what it is to be a black woman on TV. And so your marketing speaks for itself. Like, there's, 
I don't know if there's if you felt any pressure to change, but it's clear that you have not uh, bothered. I mean, I did. I mean, I was never going to not be exactly this, but I am well aware that if I just stopped talking about certain things, you know, and made everything severely palatable, that, you know, things might be easier for me. But I just Do you really think so? I can't. Yes. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Easier in what way? I'd be more marketable. To who, though? And and to what? To, you know, I could have a show in the morning. Oh. I can't say what I say in the morning. Oh, I learned you know? that the hard way. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was on the reel and was like, I was like, I don't know why y'all brought me on this morning ass show with my <laughs> late night ass concepts. <laughs> uh, how was that? How long were you on the reel? Six months going on nine years. Like it yeah. just, it was. <laughs> and I say that because, I, you know, we would shoot multiple shows a day. Um, you know, so you, it, it may seem like time is kind of distorted when you're doing like that type of show because go ahead. How many shows a day? Two, three, sometimes three. Yeah. No. Yeah. Wow. So so we would basically shoot two on Monday, two on Wednesday, no, two on Monday, two on Tuesday and three on Wednesday. Wow. Yeah. And at first you're like, no biggie. But it it's it becomes a grind. And then if you're doing other work, right? Because then on the weekends I would have to travel to do Smart Funny and Black or to do stand up or just other stuff. Um, you kind of never reco- you like never get your legs back under you. And yeah. um Yeah. I mean I was- I'm learning that right now. You really do have to you have to have a minute for yourself. Even though it's, that's on every fucking wine glass <laughs> and get damn t-shirt and shit. It's on every third Facebook post from women my age. But it's so true. But you don't know it until you take your own weekends away by going on tour. That's how you learn it. You learn it because you have like a nervous breakdown and you're just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I thought this was stuff that happened in the movies, but no, <laughs> it's me and Mariah Carey <laughs> having a fucking nervous, nervous breakdown. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know you could do that. I just, you know, this 40 thing is also its own jazz, right? Like, do what do you feel like changed about your, if anything, what do you feel like changed about you when you became, when you turned 40? When I turned 40, uh, every time I would be like, oh, no, I think I'm sick. I was a little bit of a hypochondriac. I'd be like, oh, no, my this is that. Oh, ouch. Now it's real. And like, you know, when I was young, if I could scrounge up enough money to go to the doctor, they'd be like, nothing is wrong with you. You're stupid. I'd be like, okay, see you tomorrow. But now when I go to the doctor and I'm like, something is wrong, they're like, Yes. Why haven't you gone to the doctor? What is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> once I was like, you know, my periods are horrible. What's wrong with me? The lady was like, oh, you're literally filled with fibroids. 
fibroids from your fucking lungs no. to your butt. You're filled with fibroids. I'm like, oh, well, all right. Okay. So now every time I'm in real pain, I still, I don't want to lie. I still do go, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll get around to it. I know I don't go to the doctor as often as I can. Did you do the but, changing yeah. of your diet for the fibroids and all of that jazz? No. <laughs> no, what is it? But no, I didn't. But when I had the fibroids thing, I realized I have a slow thyroid. So oh. then I had to go on a low carb diet. And now I'm on a low carb diet. I'm sorry. And it's not bad. Okay. Those first three weeks, I was like, oh, this is how I die. And then the <laughs> second it's done, like, you can eat a sandwich in front of me. I don't need it. I'm fine. This is adult. I would have fought you for it at the beginning. Right. But now I'm like, yeah. Some people have sandwiches. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like it changed your your confidence or in, or your creative space at all? What? Crossing over to this 40 thing? No, because I'm very lucky. Like, I was never... The way I look was never a big part of things. Mm. Like, I was never like... um made up to be the beautiful thing, you know, cause everything was on stage and it was mm -hmm. all, you know, improv kind of comedy. No one cared how I look. And I just kind of exist in this weird space where it's not like, where it's like, um, like, like Kelly Clarkson or like Whoopi Goldberg. You know what I mean? They're like, like we're women, but no one's really like, Oh yeah. Baby. You know, we're, <laughs> we get to just, I get to just wear what I want and say what I want. And it's still like, you know, even though I'm not a supermodel, everything I say is perfectly palatable. I, I exist in this weird zone that I fucking love. No one's say, being like, you, you need to lose weight. No one cares. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, what is next? Like if you could expand, because now you have a, you did expand the show to have an audience. If you could expand the show in another way, what would it be? To have a real amount of <laughs> writers and like performers. Mm. Like we are Ian, Jenny, Corinne, Patrick, Namdi, Amber, and then our people who float writing the How Do We Get Here's. But we ain't but six writers. That's it. That's all we have. <laughs> I, I know? mean, I genuinely don't. Is that, I was going to say, is that like a, a light staff for a late night show? On late night with Seth Meyers, we have 14 writers. So six is not ideal. a good amount. Yeah. It's all not right. ideal. But, you know, you don't, like, I do like that our writers came up in this environment. Because when you go to a big show, you ain't getting shit on. No, you don't get stuff on the show. It almost never happens. But here, we need you. Every <laughs> last idea you have, even if I don't like it, give it to me. I'll make it into something that can go. You know, it's really nice. So then you learn more. You learn at a rapid pace. So when people come do our show, they get a lot of stuff on. That's the only way you can learn is to see your stuff succeed or fail, especially now in front of an audience. They'll tell you like that. How has leadership been? Like for you, like being in a leadership position. I'm not great at it. I got to be honest. What do you I think you're not good at? I'm not good at the part where you have to tell people they're doing a good job. 
people need a lot of compliments and I wish I would, it never occurs to me to give anyone a compliment because I think who would care if I, Hmm. you know, it just says never, no one's ever looked to me and been like, did I do a good job? That's never happened. So now I'm like, oh, okay, you have to, because you know, you have a job and you have an ungrateful boss and they don't say shit and they never look at you or acknowledge the hard work you did. So I do need to get in charge of, but you know, and but six of us, I'm fucking frantic <laughs> running around. Shit. But Jenny Hagel, you know, our head writer is always, she's like the mom and I'm like the stepdad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing on the bacon. Now I'm gonna go yeah. watch. I'm about to go watch Jeopardy. Leave me alone, please. Please leave me alone. I mean, listen, it's, it's hard. I I definitely management is hard. It's the idea of managing is not just managing the work. You're managing personalities. You're managing people's personal lives. You know, you're managing people's insecurities. All of that, along with like, can we get the show written? It's gross, man. If I had known how, how much of people's like personal shit, oh my God, I've never talked to my boss like this. People are wild, dude. People are wild. And that so-and-so doesn't like so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And we don't have a lot of that on our show, but one whiff of it. And I'm like, no, we don't have that here. Walk it off. Go, you go say, you're sorry, I don't want to do this. We don't do this. Fucking, if you think I have one Goddamn second for your little feelings. I swear to God, I hate it. I hate it. Also, at late night set, we just don't have it. We don't have that. No one ever is like, or any weird feelings or anything. I mean, or we do, and I never see it. But whatever, it was a shock to me. I didn't know like what all it encompassed. Like you're in charge of a lot more than you think when you're in charge. People's feelings. I can't believe it. But, you know, also as a black lady, no black lady is running around being like, so-and-so hurt my feelings. Never. Under no circumstances. Someone could cuss me out and I would be like, great, you and I have to talk. When do you have time? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm certainly, I'm not going to get a third person involved in this. It's you and me, bud. (laughs) Listen here, you better say that. (laughs) We're talking. You're going to wish I had gone through the boss. I have gotten in so much trouble because that's, in my mind, I'm like, why would we talk to somebody else? What did they know? They weren't there. <laughs> you and me, we're talking. We're going to talk. we get to the with this today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And ideally, I would like for this to never happen again. You yeah. know, I want us to get to an understanding. That understanding is either going to be that we are cool in the game from this point forward or that we... We don't need to deal with each other. But whatever the case, this cannot grow into more. And you're so right. Black women never think that way. And we find ourselves oftentimes, I know there's people in their car listening right now, like, man, listen, I had to, because HR is a tool that that we don't use. (laughs) Yes. And agents. HR is for the company. And agents. Like, I didn't know when I moved here. Well, when I was in, when I got into Hollywood, like, I didn't know that, like, my agent should be having conversations about certain shit, not me. Ooh. So I, I would like be like, that. I don't like this. <laughs> and be like, oh, okay. no, your agent was supposed to be the one to say that you don't like that. That's oh, fair. 
okay, or your publicist. Like, I didn't know it was your publicist. Like, because I feel like as black women, I, I never had those tools at my disposal. Yeah. That was the other part of it. It's like there's a cultural thing, but there's also just like a, I'm just out here fending for myself, you know, like. <laughs> Don't even start on the cultural aspect of it because sometimes people are talking and I'm like, whatever language this is, I do not speak. Uh, you know how people like will roundabout try to tell you no? Say no. What are you doing? How have we talked for five minutes and all you had to say was no? What is this? Like, I don't understand when people are like, well, we have uh, looked at many different ways to do this. And we think we uh, love what you're doing. We love it. But, you know, we also talk like, what are you talking about? Just say the thing. How dare you give me a compliment sandwich? I don't need it. I don't do carbs. Keep your sandwich. What's wrong with people? It takes up so much time. <laughs> and that whole time that you were saying no, you could have said no, and we could have possibly found a yes. Okay. Because you could have exactly. said no and told me why. Because that's my other thing. Yeah. Don't just say no. Why is the no? Because I may be able to clarify for you that your why is actually not even accurate. <laughs> and next thing you know, you're like, oh, I understand now. It's actually a yes. You know? Yeah. No, that's, uh, that was, that, that journey isn't, that's like an ongoing path for me. I've made peace with it. I'm like, I'll never be able to do this. Great. I have agents. Maybe they can suss it out. I can't. Well, that's what I had to learn. I had to get much better at bringing in the folks who are, that's what they're here for. But I didn't know that they were here for that. I mean, I have, I feel like I don't know that with a lot of things. Like my insurance agent, I had to be like, okay, so now what do you do? When do I call you? Because <laughs> I didn't realize that when I like had hit a curb that I needed to call him to call it in. Yep. Yeah. But that's the, that's you right. know, the self-sufficiency. And that's the problem is I don't want, I don't know you. I, I can't imagine you could help me. I help me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like to invite someone else into this process. Okay. It's going to, it's just going to take a minute to learn how to do. Well, I feel like you have learned how to really just create a space for yourself artistically. And it is an inspiration. Yay! It really is. It really is, girl, because um, it can just be, and I'm somebody who's like, I have aggressive self-acceptance at this point. So like, I, like, I know what's going on here, but I think for a lot of folks, it can just seem like, damn, like, how am I going to get what I want being myself? Like how, like that seems like just not feasible. And every time I see you up there, just teaching me things. Just teaching me things all the goddamn time. You be making my masters look like better go back to school. <laughs> I don't know. I think you missed some chapters. The drowned, ma'am, the drowned black towns. Can you believe it? Can you tell me, are there any topics that you've done on, um, on that segment how we? How do we get here? That like, like that really like blew you away. That shocked you. 
Um, I was a teensy bit aware of Drowned Towns, but I didn't know that it was, I didn't know the amount. Like that amount is disgusting. The amount! And again, that was one of those um, times when Erica Buddington wrote that and she had to cite herself because she went there and she went in the town records and she had to certain, you know, because no one cares and people work hard to cover those things up, you know, like. Well, yeah, if you're going to drown it and then keep talking about it, well, then what was the, you know. (laughs) You might as well (laughs) left it dry. So, (laughs) I mean, what we're talking about, folks, is um, one of the segments that Amber did was about drowned black towns. And I know that, you know, we've, many of us have heard about the Tulsa massacre and, you know, the bombing of the move, the move building in Philly. And so, you know, there's, there's a shared awareness amongst black folks of like, yeah, like they'd be eradicating our spaces when we create them. But she did an entire segment about drowned black towns. And I did not know that that was a method of eradication that had been deployed. And Mm -hmm. I know there's like Lake Lanier, 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 Lake Lanier, uh, in Joe in, in Georgia, Lake Lanier. Um, and people have said that there's like an exponential amount of drownings that happen in this lake. And they're, they're, the rumor, the wives' tale is that it's haunted. Well, it's over a black town. Yeah. So when you're jumping into the water, you're jumping onto the roof of a fucking church. You know, so you get stuck down there. You're not supposed to swim on that stuff. No. And I just that was the one that blew my whole head because to to your point, I was like there. And these are not just in the South. Yeah. Like there's Drown Black Town in Oregon. Yeah. People love to act like it ain't up here. They love it. Buddy, it's up here. It's everywhere. (laughs) It's everywhere. (laughs) It's everywhere. The script. Before we go, um, we have a we have a segment on the show called the script where we basically give folks uh, supplementary materials that they can uh, take a look at to enjoy and to also enhance their enhance like their viewing and their listening of this conversation. So. Yeah. What are some works, whether they be film or TV or books, that you feel um, are your are your sense of humor, like that that you enjoy, so that they can get more into the Amber Ruffin of things? Yes. Okay. Well, first and foremost, there's the Amber Ruffin John Peacock. Peacock is free. Can I stress that enough? Like, you do not need a credit card number. We don't want that. Keep that in your wallet. Just sign up, and then you have it. Um, then there's also, oh, I wrote a book with my sister. <gasps> oh, no, I spilled water. Okay, well, there's a book covered in water. It's called You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey, Crazy Stories About Racism. Oh my now, God. my sister uh, has lived in Omaha her whole life and has worked at, uh, has worked in, um, at, like, old folks' homes in other capacities her whole life. And the sheer volume of stories and not even from the old people. These are from her coworkers. We just sat down and wrote down all of the stories about like, you know, she paid for something with a black history month check. And this uh, black history hero was Harriet Tubman. 
she handed it the check to the lady and the girl looks at it and goes I didn't know you could get your own face on checks. <gasps> it's just like a whole book full of stories like that. Where it's like, but you know, Omaha, Nebraska, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So that's where we're from. That's where she still, you know, lives. And it's, you know, all these times she's called me to be like, you are not going to believe this shit. And it's great. It's great. It's a whole story, a whole book of, Stories that make you really, really laugh. But also, you're sad at the sheer volume of the stories. Mm, mm-hmm. But if you're black, you go, oh, I know that story. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I've been there. Uh, I got been my there. Ver- I got my version of that one. I got my version yeah. of that one. St- wait okay. till you hear what happened to Lacey. That's what it's called, right? Mm-hmm. You'll never believe what happened to Lacey. You'll never Crazy believe stories about racism. <laughs> the last dose. I will be purchasing expeditiously. I will be watching. We're continuing to watch the Amber Ruffin show. Uh, hopefully we will have you on Smart Funny and Black when we're in New York. If not, you are still welcome to attend the show. And, you know, I just, I really am, am I just love getting to share spaces with other black voices, black female women voices in this space. And I just want you to keep doing what you're doing because it's really, it really like helps drive the the like the momentum of like no like we have to keep on going i don't know why i started yeah. singing the spiritual there but uh, <laughs> we gotta keep on going <laughs> someone's mom is listening right now going oh yes <laughs> you got to keep it on like, oh, i didn't know it was a real song you um, heard that you i see, love you very badly amber can sing did you hear it no, I, yes, can't, I can't. I should never be saying it. It's keep very bad. It on. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. to keep it on. Um, I love you so bad. <laughs> you have built this very cool empire that I adore. I love how you love black people, like the verb and also the noun. But like I, I love you. your active love of black comedy and um strong women i love it and it makes me feel strong and smart and uh being around you is fun ditto and i can't wait to do it in person oh i'm gonna embarrass you so bad i can't (laughs) wait (laughs) i'm looking forward to it thank you yay a podcast network